Hi, and welcome to the Bluff Church Podcast. Each week we bring you the Sunday message from the Bluff Church in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. If you like our podcast, we'd appreciate it if you take a moment and leave a review on your favorite listening platforms on iTunes or Google Play. Your review helps other listeners find our podcast. For more information about the Bluff, we invite you to visit our website at thebluff.church or our social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Just search for the Bluff Church. If you live in the Poplar Bluff area, we invite you to come be a part of the Bluff on any Sunday at 1027 a.m. in the ballroom of the Holiday Inn. Now here's this week's message. Good morning. Hope you guys all had a wonderful Christmas, and I'm very glad that you guys are here. Um, if you don't know who I am, my name is Mason Powell. I'm the teaching co-pastor here at the Bluff. And if you're a guest, I want you to know that, that we are very grateful that you are here. We're very excited that you're here. Um, but we want you to know that we do this thing where at the beginning of every message, before we get into the text and learning about Jesus, we take a moment and we give a round of applause and recognition to someone in this church um, or a particular area of service because this whole church thing is more than just some goober standing up on a stage and preaching. It is involving many parts of us. It involves many people who, who give of their time and their money to serve here. And so this morning, we want to give a, a round of, of applause to a very special group, and this is our elders. And if you don't know who those individuals are or what an elder is, they're basically like the board of our church. They work with me and Dave to help make the spiritual decisions and directions of this church. And so they are very passionate about making sure that you guys love God and that you guys know that you are loved by Jesus. And we work very hard to, to figure out how we can grow closer to God as a church. And the elders are a crucial part of that. And so let's give a round of applause for all their work. So here we are at the end of another year. In fact, it's not even just the end of another year. It's the end of a decade, which is really cool and significant, especially for this decade, because when this decade started in 2010, everyone thought the world was going to end in 2012. Like, do you guys remember that? Like the whole crisis with the Mayan calendar and everyone's just panicking. And look at us, eight years later, and we've survived that tragedy. Like, this is a wonderful thing. And maybe this, this time of year, it, is, it just makes you think back, especially this end of the decade, makes you think back to where you were 10 years ago, at the beginning of 2010, and what life was like, and maybe even wondering, has everything happened that you thought was going to happen? Which I imagine for most of us is probably a no. But see, like, let me give you an example. When I look back on 10 years ago, in 2010, I was an egotistical, acne-covered teenager that God humbled and called into ministry. And in the past 10 years, there's been some wonderful things that have happened. Like, I met and married my wife. I got the education I wanted, and I got this dream job here at the, the Bluff. And, and yes, um, but not everything has been wonderful. Like, there have been some hardships in this past years, I, I, in this past decade. I, I've lost loved ones. 
I've lost friends, whether because of foolish decisions or just separation in time and space. I've had to go through tragedies I would rather have not have gone through or had to watch other people go through tragedies and felt helpless to be able to help them. I've made some foolish mistakes and I've gotten some new scars, both physically or, or upon my very soul, what that only means Jesus can see. And maybe this past decade was like that for you, where there are some great things that happen, but there are also some tough things that happen. Like maybe, maybe this past decade you fell in love, or maybe you lost it, or maybe you found it again all in that same time period. Maybe you got the, the home that you always wanted, or maybe you lost it. Maybe you got your dream job, or maybe you lost that, or maybe you were just lucky enough to retire. Maybe you got to be a parent or a grandparent, or maybe you had to bury some loved ones. Maybe you have moved here in the past 10 years to get a fresh start in a new town, or maybe in the past 10 years you have watched this town change dramatically. Whatever it is, this time of year, the space between Christmas and New Year's is very special because we start to think back on the past year or the past decade, and we start to, to ask ourselves, what were the, the crucial milestones? What were the things that mattered that were more important than anything else? Like, What were the most important things? And it's not just this time of year where these thoughts come up. They also come up when we're in the midst of storms and tragedies and crisis, and there's nothing we can do but just sit and try to cling and hold on as the storm rages around us. And all you can think is, what is really important in life? Like, what really matters in the midst of what is going on? You see, the Bible is filled with characters and individuals who have who are just like us, who've gone through those exact same motions, that when tragedy strikes, when storms happen, that they're left wondering what really matters. And one such individual is John the Baptist. And we've been going through this very short series looking at who John the Baptist is, and he's a, a rather unique and special character. He's in the, the Gospels. All four Gospels mention him, but he's only given a very small section because the rest of the Gospels, as they should be, are about Jesus and all that Jesus has done. So he's this guy who, who's very mysterious. He's doing crazy things. He's out there living in the desert, and he's kind of homeless. He's just wild, crazy man. But there's some dramatic things of which happen in his life that are crucial to launching the ministry of Jesus because he was given a purpose of preparing people, saying, hey, the time has come for God to become king again, for God to fulfill his promises, and we've got to be prepared for it. So this was John's whole purpose in life, and we learned some valuable things as we looked at John, like how God has not forgotten us even in the midst of the storm around us, even when it seems like we are alone and that it almost feels like God has forgotten us. The truth is, is he has not forgotten us. And John's story shows us that. As well as how John's whole story was about saying that Jesus is what we need because we all need something better than ourselves and that thing is a someone and his name is Jesus. That was John's whole purpose in life. And he was this guy, his ministry was starting to rev it up. It was getting a lot of traction. And at the same time, when Jesus' ministry was starting to, to do the same and started to get traction, John's ministry comes to a screeching halt because John is arrested. And he's wrongfully convicted and imprisoned. 
And it's, it's kind of remarkable because as his ministry takes a screeching halt, Jesus' ministry just revs up and gets all this momentum. It's kind of interesting, this pendulum swing. In fact, the Gospel of Mark kind of very bluntly says it in chapter 1. It says that now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. So in some odd way, the arrest of John is what sparked the ministry of Jesus and what really gave it traction. But I need to explain how John got arrested. You see, there was this guy named Herod. And Herod is the, the son of Herod the Great. And Herod the Great is the, the individual who tried to kill Jesus as a baby. And so this is his, his son. And Herod the Great is this remarkable individual who, who built much of Israel's architecture even today that still stands. If you go and visit Israel, you'll see all these places and they say, yeah, Herod the Great built this and he built that. And he was this warrior and he, he had all this fame. And then here's his little son named Herod Jr. And when Herod the Great passes away. Herod Jr. kind of steps into his father's role, and he has lived a life of luxury, and he's put in place by the Romans. He's like this puppet politician that the Romans have put in place saying, hey, go have fun, go to a few festivals, cut the ribbon, a few businesses open up, you know, go and have a joyous life, enjoy all the wine and women and pleasure you could possibly have, Herod. And every now and then we might ask you to stand in because we want to use you as a representative for the Jewish people. So that the Jews, the population, can think that they have a, a politician who's in their corner when in reality, Herod is not. He's this spoiled brat. He's always gotten everything he's ever wanted. And he arrests John because he doesn't like John. Because John goes around and starts telling people that what Herod is doing is wrong. And what Herod did, to put this in perspective of the guy who can't say, like, he can't accept hearing no, or, or and whatever he wants, he just takes. He has a brother who's married to a wife, and so Herod wants her, so he kills his own brother to marry this woman. And John goes around, he starts telling people, this is wrong. This is a, a perfect example why God needs to come back, why God needs to be the king of our world now, and again, to fulfill his promises. And it's happening now because Herod is a perfect example of, of just how corrupt and messed up this world is. And Herod doesn't like this. I mean, we can't really blame John for saying this. Because if we had any politician in our town or in our nation who was supposed to represent us and be on our behalf, and they do something like that, like we would all be outraged. And so Herod arrests John because he doesn't like to hear this. He kind of throws John in prison. And this is not what's expected of John. Because remember, he's a guy, he's got this mission given by God that you're supposed to prepare people for the ministry of Jesus and this is not how it's supposed to be. At least that's the feeling. And so John is alone in this prison. And he's, he's starting to question everything that's going on. He's starting to think, maybe, maybe I was wrong, or, or how did I end up here? What has my life really amounted to? Like, what really mattered? And he starts to hear from a few visitors that come in about his cousin Jesus, who's going around and who's healing people who are broken, who are sick, who are deaf, who are blind. Like Jesus is healing all of them. Like even the dead are, are being raised. And so it's kind of like, okay, this is remarkable because he sees that Jesus doing everything that was kind of promised of the Messiah. Like Isaiah chapter 61, which is this ancient book, talks about the, the roles of the Messiah, like what the Messiah was going to do. And the Messiah is God's ideal king, the individual who's supposed to rule the world. And Isaiah talks a lot about what this individual does. And John's sitting there thinking, 
maybe Jesus is this guy. Like, maybe Jesus is the one who's doing all this stuff. And let me read to you what the Messiah is supposed to be doing. Isaiah chapter 61. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, meaning the me being the Messiah, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So, Jesus himself, keep this in mind, preached this very same passage. In Luke chapter 4, the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is in his own hometown, and he stands up in the temple or the synagogue where they all worship God, and he preaches this passage, and he says that this was about him, that he's the Messiah, that this is the things that he's going to do, that he's going to bring good news to the poor, he's going to heal the broken, and he's going to release the captives. And he's going around doing all this stuff, and John is in prison, and he's hearing about that. And put yourself kind of in John's perspective of hearing Jesus out there doing all this, and there's this line of, uh, of how the Messiah is supposed to free the captives. And so this is getting John a little bit excited, thinking, okay, Jesus is doing all this other stuff. Maybe, maybe he's about to come and free me. So when John gets some visitors, we jump to Luke chapter 7, verse 19. When John gets some visitors, you know, he, he's catching up, he's hearing all the stories, and he sends them out to, to send a message for him to Jesus. And it's in verse 19 where he, he sent them to the Lord, Jesus, saying, Are you the one who is to come, meaning the Messiah, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, the they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So put yourself in John's perspective, where you are going through something that's not really your fault, where you are just wrongfully convicted, you're arrested, and you, you're alone. And you're sitting here thinking, God has given me this mission. God has given me this purpose. This is not what I thought it was going to look like when I said yes to God's mission. And so it's no doubt that anyone in this situation would feel very depressed, would feel very lonely, would be questioning everything. And so, yes, he's hearing about Jesus doing this. And so maybe he's a little bit excited, but there's this, this plea in his statement Basically wondering, like, have I backed the wrong guy? So he sends this message to Jesus saying, hey, are you the guy? Are you the one who's supposed to come? Are you the Messiah who's supposed to be the king of the world and of the universe and bring God's promises to bear? And there's a subtle kind of tone of, and if so, please save me. And so these reporters come to Jesus and they, they say these things to Jesus and say, hey, John wants to know if you're basically going to rescue him, if you're the Messiah. And this is what Jesus does in verse 21 now of chapter 7. It says, in that very hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. Now, this is almost comical to me if you think about it. Because here are these like reporters and they come up and they're like, hey, Jesus, um, your cousin John, you know, the one who they call the Baptist, the John the Baptist, yeah, he's in prison and he wants to know, are, are you the guy, you know, the guy, okay, the one who, who's going to save us and all that stuff. And, and Jesus, instead of rushing to answer, he, he pretty much just says, hey guys, I can't talk, I'm sorry, can't you see there's a long line of people here who are sick and blind and oh, there's those demon-possessed people back there and I've got to handle this quickly because they're going to stir up a whole lot of trouble here. So just give me a minute, let me go take care of all that. And he goes and he heals everyone in town and everyone's fantastically healed. And then he kind of comes back, and he's dusting off his hands and, and the reporters are kind of standing there with their mouths hanging open and, and Jesus is like, okay, yeah, so let's talk about this. 
And I, I love that. Because Jesus' first response when people are like, hey, are you the guy who's going to be the master of the universe? Who's, who's bringing in God's plan of saving us? His response was not to like, hey, let me just have this interview and, and let me put on the makeup and, and let's get the cameras rolling. Let's talk about this. No, he's like, hey, I, I can't talk about this until I've done the very thing that you think I'm needing to do. And so after he dusts off his hands and they're all shocked, he finally says in verse 22, this is how Jesus replies to them now. He says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. There he is, he's quoting that Isaiah passage again. Okay, saying, look, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing, except Jesus left out a line. Because the final line of the passage was about the Messiah of freeing the prisoners and the captives. And Jesus gets that line and he, he pauses. He lets the tension build. He knows what they want to hear. Because they want him to say, and I'm coming for you, John. I'm going to sneak you out. I'm going to kick down the gates. We're going to do this. We're going to go fight your, our way out and get you out of this. That he knows that's what they're expecting him to say. So after he's let the tension build, he finally, I like to imagine him maybe smiling or maybe sighing, and he finally says in verse 23, and blesses the one who was not offended by me. I don't know about you, but that makes me a little uncomfortable. Because what Jesus just said is, hey, go tell John, I am everything you think I am. I am the one who's going to save humanity. I am the one who's bringing in God's promises. I am the one who's going to fix everything. This is the time when God is going to become king again. But I'm not going to go free you. Because essentially he's saying, John, it is better that you stay in prison and that you die and not be offended of me than for me to release you. And we know that's what happened to John. Because shortly after this, Herod has this dinner party and his daughter does this dance for him. And it's a really horrendous story that ends with John the Baptist being headed for the pleasure of Herod and all his dinner guests. This isn't the kind of ending that we expect for someone who's given this mission by God. It doesn't seem right. I mean, this is a guy who devoted his entire life to try to get people aware that God is needing to become king again and we need to be right for it. This is a guy who's devoted his entire life to the mission of God. Like he, he talked very highly about Jesus. In fact, Jesus and the rest of chapter 7 of Luke talk very highly about John. And John is quoted in the Gospel of John in chapter 3, verse 30, describing his relationship with Jesus. He says that he, meaning Jesus, he, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. And decrease he did. Dying alone in a dungeon. Could Jesus have freed him and saved him? He certainly had the power to do so, but he decided not to, and that's really uncomfortable because the God who is the master of the universe, who's in control of all things, who is madly in love with us as we just sung about, his reckless love is still the God who will sometimes allow us to go through difficult times and go through trials and sufferings, and sometimes he doesn't even fully explain to us why except to say, trust me. 
And that can be very difficult to accept. Because we like a God who is only about love and grace and mercy and who, who loves us and who's going to take care of us and he does those things. But we don't like a God who also says, sometimes I'm going to let you go through hard times. Sometimes I'm even going to let you die. And that doesn't feel comfortable because we would rather have a God who's more like a therapist and a genie, one that we can treat like a child. And what I mean by that is like a child where, where if they do something that pleases you, then you'll reward them. But if they do something that doesn't please you, then you'll punish them. And I see this all the time where people think, well, if God blesses me, if God gives me everything I want, then I will come to church. Then I'll sing the songs. Then I'll put the money in the offering plate. And then I'll, I'll volunteer. And then I'll, I'll do this. And maybe I'll love my wife and my kids. But Jesus has got to bless me and get me what I want first. And if he doesn't, oh, then I'm out of this. This is not for me. And if you treat God like a child, then your God is not the God of scriptures. Your God is a weak and puny God. And the God who the scriptures is pretty much the relationship between us is like he's a roaring lion and we are the weak, defend, defenseless chicken with a broken wing and a leg who's hiding in the corner before this lion who's hungry. That's not to say that we should be afraid of him, that he's about to smite us or anything like that, but that we should be in awe of his power and of his might and his sovereignty, and how this amazing God still loves us. Still wants to take care of us, but sometimes that means he's going to let us be broken. So here's the lesson we need to walk away remembering this morning. And it's a very difficult lesson, one I have a difficult time preaching, because I like the cushy, therapist, genie God that we all enjoy, and that's not the God of Scripture. So this is very difficult for me to proclaim, but let me promise you with this truth that we're about to share here in a minute. This truth will change not only your next year, but your next decade. If you grasped it, if you soaked in it, if it became rooted in your very being, like this is a big truth that you need to know, okay? You ready for it? Ready? Okay, here it is. Jesus matters more than you. Let me say that again. Jesus matters more than you. You are not the center of the universe. You're not what life is all about. And so it's very difficult to, to hear this because our natural inclination is that we're more important, that we're what matters most. And that, that causes problems when it becomes about us. I mean, many of you, you probably saw that this past week with Christmas and all, with family gatherings, and you, the strife and the problems that came up is because someone, I, I bet, thought that they were more important, their desires, their, their interests, what they wanted was more important and mattered more than someone else. But here's the honest truth of life. Jesus matters more than you. And this is difficult for me to proclaim as well. Because I look out at this congregation who I've come to love and know of the past several months since I started here, and I know some of your struggles. I know that there's some of you who have doubts in, about your life or doubt, doubts about your faith. I know some of you are struggling financially. I know some of you are struggling in your marriages. I know some of you are struggling with depression or, or anxiety or loneliness. I know some of you are struggling just to find a place where you feel loved and belonged and you've come here looking for those things. 
Every one of us comes to this place with something in our back of our minds that we're hoping to get out of this place because in our deepest hearts, we matter more. And it matters that we get this thing that we want. And so we come expecting the Bible to be open, to hear a message that will get us through the next week, that will speak to our struggles and our problems, and that will be about our situations. Now, I'm not bashing that. I'm not insulting that because every one of us does that. I do it as well as your preacher. Because, and that's, that's fine. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. And here's why. Because these things can be found in the Bible. Here you can find about a God who loves you, who can forgive you, who can take away your shame and your loneliness and your anxiety. You can find that in the Bible and in this place. In this place where you can feel loved, where you can feel helped, and in return do those same things for someone else. A place where you can belong can be found here. And we will open the Bible and we'll talk about finances and marriage and relationships and purpose and value and all that stuff in life because the Bible does speak on that. But the Bible ultimately, this is very important, is not about us, but it's about Jesus. And so in everything, we're always going to take things back to Jesus because he matters more than us because we're not the center of the universe. Jesus is. And there's great freedom in that. There's great freedom because that means we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have our lives all together. We don't have to be the superstar and up on a pedestal and look down upon others and stuff like that. It's okay to say, I'm, I'm broken, but I know the one who puts all things back together, and his name is Jesus. Because life all revolves around Jesus, not us. He matters more than us. And this is a very difficult thing to grasp. It can almost sound easy to say because this is part of my job and I'm supposed to say this and because we we sing songs for it and stuff like that and the Bible says it, but to actually live it out is incredibly difficult because it's not the natural wiring of our hearts. But here at the bluff, that's what we aim to do, which means that when times are good, When things are wonderful, we praise God and we glorify him. But when times are bad, we still praise God and we still glorify him. When our diagnosis doesn't get better, when we lose our our families or our homes, when life doesn't go the way we want it to, which I promise you that's what's going to happen in this next decade, it's not going to go the way you thought it's going to go. We're still going to praise him. Because he is still God. He is still good. He still loves us. He still cares for us. And even though he doesn't always tell us why we go through the things we go through, we still trust him when he says that he's got our good in mind and our good involves his glory because God is in love, not with just us, but with his own glory, as he should be. Because everything always goes back to that. Like the way that God loves you is not because you're special or you're great or anything like that. He loves you because he is special and great and he is glorified when he can love sinners like us, people who are broken like us, and he can come in and fix us and love us. And it's all because Jesus matters more than us. It's a very difficult place to be. I'm confident that this could change the next decade for us. Because I imagine going out of here and stuff like that as we go into the next decade, I wonder if this was to be rooted in our being, the changes that we're going to see 
And I think some of them will be like parents who are actually more interested in their kids than they are in their careers or their smartphones. Spouses who are more interested in each other than themselves. I think what we'll see is students who will go into the schools and they will see their classmates and will pop in their minds thinking, Jesus loves this person. Jesus died for the sins of this person. How can I show that to someone else? I think we'll go into our jobs and instead of thinking, this is the purpose of my life, this is where my identity rests, is in my job, we'll stop and we'll think, this is the place that God has put me to bring his identity and his purpose into those places. And I think we'll come to church Instead of making it about us or our preferences of what's played on worship or what's on the stage or even how we dress and things like that, that it will be more about let's glorify this God who is teaching us to love God and love people. Because part of that is accepting that God cannot be contained by us. That God can't be tamed. That he is wild and we have to let him be wild, which means He's going to do things that aren't always going to make sense to us. It doesn't mean that he's unjust. It means that his glory is in mind and his wisdom is greater than ours and we've got to trust him and trust that in all things, even if we end up like John, that God is still good. He still loves us. And that no matter what happens to us, Jesus matters more. That's a difficult place to be, but there is great freedom in that. And I think we can get there. And that's why here at The Bluff, we want to do our best to help encourage you guys and prepare you guys to live that out, which is why starting next week, we're going to launch a new series at the beginning of the year about doing life in community with other believers with a focus partially on small groups. And we're going to start doing small group signups next week as well as we go through the series, as we prepare for doing life together because this community, this family, this gathering right here at The Bluff, is made up of broken people, but we want this to be a place where significant relationships are built all around the focus of Jesus mattering more than us and us learning to love him more, even when it's good and even when it's bad, because he is still worth it. Simply for the fact that he died for our sins, something that we did not deserve, and even if he never gave us another blessing other than that, he is still worth our eternal worship. Because he is what life is all about. He matters more than us. Won't you pray with me? Jesus, we are so grateful for you. And we apologize sometimes, actually on a frequent basis, when we turn our life more about us more about our troubles, more about our struggles. Not to say that it's wrong for us to have these things. We have a tendency to make life more about us when in reality it's about you. And so whether good times come in the next decade or bad times or a beautiful mixture of both, we will still worship you and we'll still praise you because you're more important than us. And you change everything when we come to that realization. And so help us, Father, in that. Help us to move in that direction where we can live in the stance of you mattering more. Is in your name I pray. Amen. You go. Could-